0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. That's plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box, and if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which
1: we Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Black Mirror might leave Channel 4. What does that tell us? About the power of the super indies. John Whittingdale thinks the BBC's new board should be appointed by the government. We find out why a lot of people think that's a bad idea. Plus, more on The Guardian's cost-cutting woes. Capital Radio goes ad-free, sort of. And we think you'll like this week's Media Quiz. Not a lot, but you'll like it. That's all to come on today's Media podcast. And joining me this Friday at the Hospital Club is the Managing Director of Talkback Television. It is friend of the show, Leon Wilson. Hello, Leon. Hello, Ollie. You have been making a live edition of Celebrity Juice.
2: Yes, last night. I'm quite tired. I didn't go home until about three in the morning. We did the first ever Celebrity Juice live. And How did it go? It was ace. It was, it was brilliant. Oh, I think it was great. I would say that. But given all the problems we could have had, it went off really well. It rated really strongly. The channel are very happy. They've already asked whether we can do it live every week. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing that for my health. Um, we killed Rylan as well. We ran over Rylan, but in, 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 in a tank at the end of the show. I can see why that would be popular. It was that was my. my I took so long to convince ITV that that was a viable thing to do, and uh, I'm really pleased we did it.
1: And having previously attended a live recording of Celebrity Juice and trying to look innocuous in the audience, but actually wearing a bright orange fleece, <laughs> yes. um, I, <laughs> so I could clearly be seen on camera. Here. Uh, I know that a traditional recording takes about two and a half hours for what is a sort of forty forty-five minute show. So how did you manage to? Install any discipline at all on Lee Francis in particular.
2: A lot of rehearsal. We, you know, we do rehearse the show, but normally we actually rehearsed it for the first time two weeks ago, and we did. A, I think Lee and Keith went through the show about four times, five times, maybe by the time we got to air, which is very unlikely. So we, you know, we really tried to hone it down. We knew we, had, we couldn't go over time; we had to get it all done in an hour. So just a lot of rehearsal.
1: And he doesn't do key, does he? So that no, makes no it even harder.
2: No in his ear, and just trying to steer that madness through the hour was was it was absolute chaos in the gallery, but lots and lots of fun.
1: Saying the words Keith Lemon in his ear in the same sentence are generating all kinds of innuendos, (laughs) but I'm going to move on because we're not that kind of show. Uh, Joining Leon this week making his media podcast debut, welcome... BuzzFeed's TV editor Scott Bryan hello Scott hello uh, give us a flavour of your day uh, what are you working on at the moment
3: okay well this one is not typical of what I normally do but I'm doing um, you know Gogglebox I do and, and then there's the Malone family yes and they have always now hold on
1: the Malone family they're the ones from Essex aren't they Uh or they're the ones from Newcastle
3: they're the ones from Newcastle I love the girl what's her name the young no, one no 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 that, that's Scarlet. that's the Moffat family oh that's the Moffat it's all very confusing oh the they Malones are. are the ones with the dogs yes the ones with to have a sort of food-related treat in the centre. They It's been picked up by some people. So today, I have been watching many, many episodes of Gogglebox and noting every single different variety of food that is <laughs> visible that? on the screen to have a sort of very serious take-off for the variety of the food that the Malone's eat.
2: I thought what I did was pointless.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's the future face of journalism, folks. It really, it, here it really is, isn't it? Uh, and give us the inside track. What makes
1: the perfect BuzzFeed listicle?
3: I mean... I think it's, it's, it's something that you particularly find funny. Like, for example, what, what we do each morning is, is that we all have, have ideas at the top of our head and each sort of writer has their own specialism. And then we just sort of bandy around ideas. And normally it has to be something that sort of grabs you, but also other people in the room as well. So, so no, there is a traditional kind of almost Times Guardian Telegraph-esque morning meeting, is there? Not necessarily, because like morning's meetings, I think, last quite a long time. They all vary quite further. Ours seem to be kind of, you know, drop in, drop out. And then we have quite a lot of brainstorming. Ah, oh, it's a brainstorm. So it's not a w- morning meeting. It, There's the, coffee and cool hair. Yeah, well, it's a, that's an editorial meeting. Also, the amount of times that it ends up the best ideas coming in the pub at the end of the day is staggeringly high. I, mean, I imagine that's
1: similar to your industry, isn't it, Lee? on comedy? I mean, writing comedy, actually, you can sit around and talk about what are the best pair of fake tits to put on the show, but actually, <laughs> I imagine going out and playing with the props <laughs> is the best way to do it.
2: Yeah, we do loads of games run-throughs. Often, I was on the way here, I was walking through the office and... Oh, there was a cardboard box on the floor and our series producers le- jumped out and bo- booed me basically you know <laughs> <laughs> like this is what like i think they were tra- practicing some game but yeah that's that's what yeah it's a similar sort of thing it's you know lots of brainstorms and then some a lot of conversation really conversation is the key to getting ideas and building on other people's ideas and trying to hone them down to what is the best form huh.
1: But this is, of course, how Chris Evans went completely off the rails, wasn't it? Generating every idea in the pub. I mean, it leads leads down a dangerous roads. Yeah, in we many ways.
2: we don't we tend not to, st- to try and stay out of the pub because it just you only can only get an out good hour out of it before it just descends into. Yeah, well, people it it's in.
3: always the case that you have really great ideas and then the next morning you can't remember any of them.
2: Yes, exactly, that's also that, yeah, yeah.
3: Shall we get on with the news? The future of hit drama series Black
1: Mirror may lie away from Channel 4. Well, that's the suggestion anyway of a Media Guardian article after they reported a breakdown in relations between the producer and the broadcaster. Uh, you might remember last year Netflix paid an estimated $40 million for a fourth season of Charlie Brooker's Black Comedy. Uh, that deal was thought to still guarantee Channel 4 a first look option for future series, but apparently Uh, that is not the case. Uh, Scott, Channel 4 have sunk a lot of money into Black Mirror, haven't they? This must be very, very frustrating.
3: I I think it is quite frustrating, but also at the same time, when Black Mirror was picked up by Netflix, I I felt that the deal didn't necessarily make sense, because essentially when the show will be done, um, Netflix can't show it within the UK, because Channel 4 have got first look rights, but internationally they can, and that is very much against with um, a Netflix original show. When it's anything else like House of Cards or or just New Black, it's available everywhere all at once. So I was thinking if Channel 4, you know, show it week by week. I would feel that quite a lot of viewers would get quite frustrated, thinking, "Well, I could just watch it all on demand like everyone else in the rest of the world. Why am I being held against it?"
1: But that is what happens with Top Gear, isn't it? For example, they show it week by week here, but then it, and then it becomes available around the rest of the world on Netflix.
3: Well, yes. There's a delay. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is a delay, but also it's kind of like Top Gear seems to be one of those timeless shows that kind of comes in and comes out with a different series. I feel that like with Black Mirror it's something new, something big in terms of what they're planning on doing there'll be, I think, quite a lot of buzz around it so I feel that it won't be like any other series coming back
1: And what about Endemol Shine? Uh, Leon Broadcast magazine revealed their indie survey this week and Endemol Shine Group had a turnover of £409.8 million last year, topping the table. Biggest super indie. Uh, So they've got a huge amount of weight in the UK market now. Now, you're the head of an indie. Uh, Is that a good thing? Uh, Or actually, you know, when you're having negotiations with all of these channels, can it be a bit damaging if you're too big, too powerful?
2: Well, channels, um, channels don't love don't love working with things that are bigger than them. Generally, they like they like to be the biggest fish in that pond. And so, when you've got an indie or a, a company that's bigger than you, then it obviously it's not it does change the dynamic of that relationship. Um, I think this in this instance, really, what it is is that Channel Four are trying to throw their weight around a little bit by sort of threatening and Sh- Shendemol to sort of kind of remind them that there's all these other shows that they're given money for and if they take Black Mirror off them, then they- there might be repercussions. But I completely, I think from Endermol's point of view, they, Netflix will pay £40 million pounds and they'll want first TX on all of those shows. Uh, Netflix's model is, is built around we're having the worldwide rights on everything at the same time. Which is why they're currently doing all the VPN blocking where you can't view you, Netflix in the US because they're trying to get a situation where they own everything. It all goes out at the same time. And they don't want to... So Netflix, having paid this money, £40 million, they don't want to have one territory where it's going out you know, in a different format first. Because if nothing else, if it goes out on Channel 4 first and it goes out before it goes on Netflix around the world, people will just stream it. Yeah. and it undermines the, the value in that IP so it's a kind of I think this will happen more and more if you know especially when big companies like Netflix come in and try and buy existing shows in the UK generally it's not the dumb thing for channels to steal other people's shows it does happen but usually happen when there's a fallout with the talent or something like that it doesn't generally happen but it, you know the Americans don't care they've got no the, the, no the rules are off so they can come and go we want that show we'll pay you 40 million and then we've got they, the pro- we don't have to deal with that in this country there's no sort of model for it so the ch- a channel 4 are probably a little bit panicked by it and trying to throw the weight
1: around. And actually, w- was the balance of power a little out of kilter in the past between indies and broadcasters? I mean, let's take Talkback and a show that you make for, for Channel 4, the IT crowd, right? That's a show that Talkback developed, presumably. Talkback, Thames, at time, yeah. Talkback yeah. Thames, right. And then Channel 4 said, well, here's the money for it. And I'm sure they had a little bit of creative input, but basically, if you were plotting it out on a graph, Talkback Thames probably did more of the creative heavy lifting there yeah. than Graham Channel Linehan 4 did. Yes. Grand Linnehan, right. Uh, so then when you're talking about terms of trades now and you're looking at a world where you can just go on and sell that product to Netflix or any of these online providers, I mean, should the broadcasters be quite scared, actually? Like, what, what, what role do they have in creating these hits?
2: Well, they usually there's... there's um most shows in the UK there's a one year non-compete clause so if someone wanted to come and buy one of our shows it couldn't be on another channel for about a year that's usually the contract so that's but something like Black Mirror which only comes back once every 18 months that's kind of irrelevant really so Celebrity Juice Sky couldn't come in and buy Celebrity Juice tomorrow because it wouldn't be able to be on for a year Um, and that's kind of would obviously mean that Sky would be less interested in the show and have to be off every year so generally the channels have got pretty well protected but for shows with long lead times like Black Mirror it's, it's less it's harder for them to maintain that control. And
1: will that year clause still be with us, do you think, in years to come? I think the channels want it to be there.
2: If anything, they're trying to make it harder for you to sell, take your show as well, probably because they're worried about the competition from Netflix and such.
1: I mean, Scott, you're from BuzzFeed. Uh, you know, week after week on this show, people say brands of channels don't matter anymore. Uh, do you think that's the case for your readers or do they associate celebrity juice as an
3: itv2 show i think it's it's the same on both sides i think that with channels people still very much know what shows channel 4 do or different digital channels seems to still i think relate quite well. We don't really necessarily underneath our articles when we write about shows talk about you know what channel they're on and when because readers already instinctively know. But at the same time I think Netflix is just becoming that synonymous word of cool programmes that you can watch in one go and I think it's certainly been the case in the last year. You're seeing more and more original shows. Like now I get sent like a trailer or a writer for a show nearly every other day, which is ridiculous in a case that has only been really around in the UK market making an impact for several years. And I would say that if I was a broadcaster, not necessarily knowing how many viewers Netflix shows have because they keep them to themselves, I would be quite scared, thinking, okay, it doesn't matter now, but will it matter in about three or four years when more and more young people are watching stuff on demand?
1: And in this particular case, Leon, uh, if you imagine yourself as the head of Endemol uh, Shine, uh, is this is this just negotiation? Do you Am say? I going to get paid more first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll good. give you an advance. Okay,
2: great. I'm sorry, what was the question? Uh, <laughs> is this
1: actually just a tactic? Is this just them making themselves look tough to Channel 4, but actually, of course, they want it on Channel 4 as well? Uh,
2: no, I think they've been quite... I would imagine they are quite enjoyed getting paid £40 million. Pounds. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. They come, that's a lot... You know, so I imagine that's quite a significant increase what Channel 4 pays. Is it $40 million? $40 million dollars, just a 30. drop in the ocean. So, you know, that's probably... And it's a bigger, longer commission, you know. Uh, they'll probably feel like, well, we're entitled to take it to them. It's our IP. We can sell it who we want to. Uh, so I don't think they'll be feeling... I don't think they're doing it to piss Channel 4. I think they're doing it for the money. OK, let's stick with Channel
1: 4 for a bit. God, this is exciting, isn't it? Not starting with the BBC. I think it? it's the first time this has ever happened. Uh, the, uh are talking bo- about Top Gear? <laughs> I tried. Uh, the uh, Gogglebox producer has stood up for Channel 4. Uh, speaking at Broadcast's Indie Summit, Stephen Lambert told producers there that no other broadcaster would have taken a chance on his format. I remember when Kevin Liger said to us, we're not going to carry on with Wife Swap because we feel we need to
2: start doing new things all the time. And yet Wife Swap was at that time still getting, I don't know, three million viewers, a big number these days. The the decision to stop Big Brother, clearly Big Brother hadn't run out of steam. It's it's doing very nicely on Channel 5.
1: The fact that you have, I mean, this is a completely weird notion for a commercial
2: broadcaster to, to end shows that are still doing well. That's all driven by Channel 4's desire to, to meet its fuzzy remit
1: uh, and to be distinctive. <laughs> now, Leon, as the saying goes, he would say that, wouldn't he?
2: He, he might, uh, but he's probably right. And uh, he's completely right in saying that, that Channel 4 shouldn't be privatised. And I, can't, I haven't seen a single compelling reason why it should be privatised other than John Whittingdale maybe having a bit of a beef about being fuzzy or something, I don't know it just doesn't seem, there's no sort of coherent um, point being made and I just think um, it's it's a scandal that's even being considered to be privatised and I said that as someone that has an ambivalent relationship with Channel 4, like we don't tend to get a lot of shows away with them uh, and it's frustrating for us and we try very hard, so it's not like I'm a massive Channel 4 sort of evangelist, but I still think, I totally believe in the, the, the sort of, you know the need for Channel 4 and, the, and it's, it's a great channel and when it does things well it's brilliant and it should remain the way it is
1: But actually, people say that they wouldn't be able to take risks if they were privatised, but some of their risks pay off commercially, so they would. What it seems to me would suffer is stuff like Channel 4 News, which I'm personally a fan of, but you can sort of understand why John Whittingdale isn't.
2: Yeah, I think there's news. There's kind of there's a lot of documentaries they do, a lot of dispatches, things like that. You know, there's kind of, of hard hitting stuff. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of those will just go out the window if it became privatised quite quickly. I mean, yeah, someone whoever buys it will probably make the right noises, like crafted with crack Cadbury's and go, "Well, no, we're going to keep doing these things." But two years down the line, you'll see a very different channel. You'll see a channel probably more like Channel Five, which is becoming increasingly American. Do you agree, Scott? We should uh, try and avoid the privatisation
1: of Channel Four if we can.
3: Well, I mean, he sort of made a very good case in the speech that. Some of the shows that are now big hits for Channel Four weren't necessarily successful in their first run. Gogglebox, for example, was on Wednesday at ten, and I think for the first series, people were a little bit like, "You what?" People watching other TV. How does this make it a thing? And then people sort of saw the nuances and sort of you know started to really like what Scarlett was saying, and then they would sort of build sort of a relationship towards the characters, and then that that became big. And other shows, for example, like First Dates, wasn't necessarily big in its first run. Now it's really huge. Shows that were, I think kind of added in by accident that wouldn't necessarily been in the case for privatization. For example, the last leg, which was added with the Paralympics in 2012, has now become on to be a very big permanent fixture. There's been some times in my mind I've been thinking, would they have spent, you know, so much time dedicated towards their Paralympics and championing diversity? Probably not. They wouldn't have because those are issues that generally, if you're not making a profit on, would be the first ones to go. Just before I came here, it's like... um, doing a bit more, more re- research into finding out, OK, what are the cases for privatisation? Well, whilst looking at foodstuffs on Google Books. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And and the main cases does seem to be a bit muddled. I mean, the only sort of real cases, like I said, was this whole claim about being fuzzy. And it's a little bit like, well, what does that really mean? This whole dis- this whole distinctiveness debate that's been going on for, for a lot, same at the BBC. But also just down to the fact that, oh, you know, the background costs could be cut a li- li- little bit. But I don't really see those as being big, Prevailing issues that we're all talking about.
1: But it is a way of getting some money into the government, isn't it? So that's oh, why they're such thinking a about it. Thing. Fuzzy, it's okay, ridiculous. but he's not you can't expect the culture sector to come out and say, right, like here's the thing. More. I'm a conservative, I'm ideologically opposed to the public sector funding more TV programmes and we could do with a bit more money. He's not gonna say that, so he uses words like fuzzy. That's what it means. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. We all know what it means. Well, we'll be doing more media stories of the week, including the BBC. We will get round to the BBC, I promise, after this. No music this week, just the sombre news that this show runs on listener contributions. By contributing just a little cash to us each month through direct debits, that's how we afford to make sure there's a podcast for you every fortnight. If you're a student or a runner or researcher, only got a couple of quid, send it to us. Send us the message that you care about what we do. If you're a producer or an AP, well, then you will understand how much time we put into making this show. Give a little more. You can afford it. And if you're an exec, well, have one less extortionately priced mojito and pass on the savings to us. Your donations matter. Go to themediapodcast.com and help keep us going. Thanks. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Right, time for some news in brief. And the Culture Secretary, John Whittingdale, continued to put the willies up public service broadcasters this week in a wide-ranging interview with the Sunday Times. He suggested that the BBC's new unitary board should be mostly appointed by the government. Uh, Scott, a totally normal thing to do. There's nothing...
3: Nothing unreasonable about that, right? Well, it was the case that Whittingdale sort of came back and said, oh, this is totally fine. This is not a thing that, you know, we should be made a drama of. And then I think Alan Rusbridger then screenshotted that part of the interview. And then that made, immediately got about a thousand retweets. of so very concerned people being like, that is quite a big deal, really. And it was also the case that there's been this sort of thing about the lack of transparency in terms of the future plans and this is a classic case i guess when there's been an interview with the sunday times where there's been sort of some very vague ideas about what the future plans of, of the bbc are in terms of like who the board's going to be made out of and then there's then the week afterwards of everyone then scrambling to say mm. oh wait no this is not a very good idea rather than coming out and saying a bit more in a direct way than through a newspaper interview.
1: What seems quite bizarre about this, Leon, is John Whittingdale himself would surely be the first to cry foul if we had a Labour government and they were appointing the the BBC, uh, because, you know, the the Tories think that the BBC is full of lefty liberals anyway.
2: Well, the, the government clearly shouldn't be appointing all of the people on the BBC board, but equally the BBC shouldn't be appointing their own board, because that would be not in their interest as well. I think the BBC needs something to replace the voice... We create a new format that's going to run next year, and it's all about choosing the BBC board. Great. It's an elimination talent show. <laughs> the that. audience decides. I'm on team Bert. Yeah, you can. It'll be you know have people in chairs, <laughs> and you come on, you pitch your case, to be on the board, and we'll let. Because but basically, my point is, it needs to be independent. Whoever points points that board, it can't be one side or the other. If it's going to have any effect, if, uh, if it's going to be efficient.
1: But we need diversity on the panel, Leon. You're never going to get that if you just have uh, grandees of the BBC Trust appointing. People. Well, we
2: can get it. You know, Marvin can present it. He's got <laughs> <a> pretty
1: <laughs> pretty also on this subject, the Radio Times. Uh, have opened a new front on Charter Renewal. I love this story. Have you seen this? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, They claimed that their readers' answers to the consultation, which they collected separately, weren't considered. Uh, And this sounds a bit like sour grapes, but it isn't. Uh, They know that the DCMS didn't ask the Radio Times for the password necessary to open the memory stick they gave them. Um, it's not been a great week, has it, for Whitting Down?
3: Well, no. I mean, like, uh, just down to the whole Radio Times thing, I think the defence that they came back with was, oh, you know, their questions that the Radio Times asked weren't necessarily what the DCMS and their original consultation for the public was actually asked. So, you know, we are taking it into consideration. But, it, yeah, the whole thing just seems to be, be, be generally a bit of a mess at the moment in terms of just the fact that the public seems to be overwhelmingly on the side of the BBC through all of the official reports, whilst also Whittingdale is trying to have the line of like, no, actually there is this demand that the BBC has to be fundamentally different. And I feel that there's a growing side of public thinking, well, where is the evidence for that if all the reports are coming out saying otherwise?
1: I mean, that tells its own story, doesn't it? The Radio Times, Leon, are asking different questions to the DCMS because the questions the DCMS are asking are the kinds of questions that only politicians would ask. I mean, the public don't think, oh, BBC One shouldn't have Strictly Come Dancing, it wouldn't occur to them.
2: Well, yeah, I I answered a questionnaire about that last year, It was, I think it might be the DCMS one, and it was just ridiculously sort of like looking to sort of create issues, things like that, you know, where people don't question Strictly Come Dancing, but they're trying to find ways to sort of beat the BBC over the head with a stick. And uh, it's kind of pathetic, I think, but it probably will work, Fortunately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's move on to radio, and the director of BBC Radio, Helen Bowden, has also been on the front foot this week. She told delegates at Radio Days Europe that the government's argument is that if we made BBC Radio less appealing to 25 to 44-year-olds, those listeners would flock to commercial radio, real life suggests otherwise. Since 2010, the time this age group spends with BBC Radio has dropped by two hours a week, but commercial radio hasn't seen a commensurate increase in their listenership they have left us but not gone
3: to commercial radio we are not the problem do you agree scott to some extent yes i mean i i I would say that quite a lot of people particularly young people between the ages of like 18 and 30 and at work are now listening to streaming services such as spotify or apple music on demand with their own playlist and it's this sort of case that just you're not having this kind of appetite as much now to dip into shows or listening to to features if you can just choose up your favourite record and play it straight, straight away. I feel that also at the same time Uh, commercial partners even like new entrants to the field haven't necessarily made a big impact or I feel swipe away these listeners like Beats Radio I would say that a few of my friends have talked about it or colleagues but generally that there was this anticipation it was going to eat Radio 1 alive with the listenership and that just hasn't necessarily seemed to have come through yet so it's kind of trying to work out well you know what would the BBC do in the few like just So it's just trying to work out exactly what the plans are next. I found what was really quite interesting in the later part of a report about how there's plans or sort of an idea anyway about having a personalised BBC radio station where content would be sort of chosen for you according to your own interests, including in introductions to shows, all your favourite music would be played, and DJs, which sounds kind of fascinating, but also kind of bizarre at the same time. Sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Actually. It really is, <laughs> is not it? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Mine would just be like five live football commentaries, it'd be so dull. <laughs>
1: I'd have Bob Harris doing the links to everything. <laughs> yeah, okay. Bob Harris and Bob Harris doing news and John Pienaar doing country music, preferably. This demographic of 25 to 44 year olds, though, it's sort of helpful to her argument, isn't it? Because because, you know we know that say 25 to 35 year olds haven't particularly grown up listening to that much radio anyway uh, but actually 40 41 42 year olds yeah they they are listening to radio 2 if radio 2 was less popular they probably would go to smooth and magic and heart more wouldn't they
2: yeah they probably would i mean i think you yeah i think if you think about uh, my parent's generation definitely they wouldn't be going over to to sort of a spotify but they might be going to smooth or something like that yeah sticking with radio
1: briefly uh, talk Radio launches on Monday Or relaunches on Monday I suppose you might say Leon, were you a fan back in the day? I can't remember it But I do know that What? Like, Tommy Boyd, I Caesar know, the Geese
2: said, it, Was it only in London? Was no, it, only, it was, was across it, the
1: whole country It was on Medium just, wave. I
2: didn't listen to a lot of radio when I was younger I do now, but yeah. I when I was younger It was the I home
1: know, of my radio debut I called Jeremy Beadle multiple times
2: in the <laughs> <laughs> but, I, know, I know that Eamon Holmes is doing a show on it Because he is? Lee Keith went on the, it this week Recorded it this week He's doing a two and a half hour Sunday afternoon yeah. show
3: uh, that, Lee, uh, that they pre-recorded one this week.
1: Do you think there's a gap Scott in the market for for a talk-based station that isn't just news and politics? Oh,
3: I don't know. I mean, I always find talk radio in 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 Britain kind of a very mixed bag because if you introduce a whole new station, it's like, well, what is it doing differently to, let's say, what LBC is doing and what channel, and what Radio Five are doing with their discussions during the day. And also it's the same case that I feel that talk radio as a form works really well in America because you're allowed to say very opinionated views or tailor it according to your own political allegiance. Here, obviously, you're down with Ofcom regulation. You can't. You have to always find it cosy or find some sort of level-headed debate but it's the same case with all of these new DAB stations I think some of them might be very successful but some of them are quite confusing like the, the relaunch of Virgin Radio I think is just there to set and confuse everyone because just when everyone's got used to having absolute radio along comes Virgin being a bit like oh we're back again but we're different you know it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see what the listening th- figures Genuinely are Genuinely are
1: different though You've got a woman hosting breakfast can you imagine God, I know. sky falls in
2: <laughs> next I mean you know there might be another woman on the media podcast that would be the uh...
1: never uh, we'll have more radio talk next week uh, with a special bonus episode from Radio Days Europe. Lots of top radio talent in that. Stay subscribed to the media podcast to hear that as soon as it's released. Uh, Let's move on to what they used to call print in the old world and The Guardian. They've released more news on the cuts that they're going to have to make to save £54 million a year. As predicted, plans for a members club at the Midland goods shed are to be shelved and the plan is to cut 250 jobs from the payroll. Uh, Leon, have you been looking at the numbers? How deep is this cut to the workforce? It's pretty big.
2: I think it looks about 20% of the workforce, which is quite a significant amount, I thought. And given they've already laid off quite a lot of their journalists over the last sort of five years, it does feel like that will have a big impact on the content they create. I mean, I've st- you know, I stopped buying The Guardian about four or five years ago because I just found there wasn't a lot in there. Every day. I still read it online a lot. Uh, but you know, I just found they got you know with Charlie Brooker left and people like that. I just became less interested in buying the physical copy of it every day, and so losing another 250 people just seemed like a lot. And obviously, having just not not doing their club, which I completely think is probably the best thing for them to not do, because I felt like a whole other waste of money they'd be sinking money into. Uh, I, but it feels pretty significant, yeah. But yeah, they're they're burning money, so they've got to do something.
1: Yeah, I mean, Scott, the, the Guardian members club yeah. actually having a physical manifestation in an arts and culture building sort of felt like a Buzzfeed article waiting to happen. <laughs>
2: <Yeah.
3: didn't you>? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Uh, just the size of it, because I was uh, seeing the original article when they announced this plan. I think in 2014, it's 30,000 square feet, and it was planning on having an intimate restaurant, an armchair cinema, a rooftop <laughs> garden, uh, dozen atmospheric spaces, a 3D printing and fabrication lab, which is very Guardian. Well, they definitely
2: need to buy um, those. Should, should have two of
3: those. Yeah. yeah. So you know, although I can see financially it makes sense not having a sort of purpose space that costs a lot of money, I still feel that there is some sort of value in doing these meetups. Between journalists or discussing the issues that won't necessarily be able to be rounded into a column. Just the other day, actually, by the um, just opposite where where I work is near Oxford Circus, there was the Guardian debate about the EU. The longest line of Guardian readers you will ever see. Um, all, that was a riot. all yeah, are, but, but but all sort of waiting there. So I feel that there's very much a demand for such debates and such sort of consultations. I think Times Plus has a very successful model where people go in and they get to debate with their journalists. I still feel that these sort spaces can exist without mes- necessarily costing as much as building this Yeah, would I mean, have been.
1: building a big building at the cost of millions of pounds, that's what the BBC would do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. public <laughs> money we're spending <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> uh, journalists obviously not going to be happy about this, but then, I mean, they're talking about running the independent yeah. now online with, like, I think it's 20 people. 20 it? people. So, <laughs> so actually, I mean,
2: God.
1: If, if that's the world we're moving into, then the Guardian is still comparatively very well Yeah, it's
2: still, it's still like sort of 800 people will be left or something like that. So It's, it's not like it's suddenly going to be tiny.
1: Okay, sticking with papers, the New Day, remember them? They're going to increase the price of the paper to 50p. Uh, They'd already announced a freeze at 25p, but despite the sales falling to 90,000 a day... It uh, was about half of what they launched with. Uh, they're now going back to plan A. Scott, why do you think they're raising the price to 50p?
3: Well, it was quite interesting because the plan was that they were going to stick with this half, half price offer, particularly that there was quite a lot of media sort of criticism that the 50 pence price of it would be too high compared to, let's say, the i, which is only 40p and started being 20 pence. But at the same time, I feel that they're quite confident with the product. Even though the readership, I feel, is less than they probably would have originally hoped at around 90,000, I think they're looking to other models of like how the eye was when it came in, it built gradually over time as people became more familiar what it stands for and how different it is as a paper compared to the rest of the market so I would feel that you know they are taking a risk here, doubling the cost when it isn't as high as they had planned, but I wouldn't say that this is necessarily a failure straight away.
1: Well, no, but they are giving money back to advertisers. If they fail to hit their target in the first quarter, they're going to have to. They, they, they sold their advertising on the basis of 200,000 readers. Leon, was that sort of just wildly optimistic in the first place?
2: It does seem a little bit optimistic. I think, I don't know how long it took the eye to get to the 300,000 the eye sales, and I don't know how long it took to get but it felt like it, it's going to take a while to get a paper, a new paper into the market to work, now in the current market. So to expect to sort of go in at 200,000 and stay there was probably overly sort of optimistic yeah, my guess is they've done some research and they feel like the, the people that are currently buying it will pay 50p you know i can't see them doing that unless they're pretty confident that enough of those people can stick with them and essentially they're sort of doubling their profits overnight aren't they you're
1: enough of a mug to spend 25 p exactly on the day, exactly I mean, what are you going to do with the other
2: 25p <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean it seems to me the problem as much as anything is is getting displayed in the retailers in that middle market bracket It was very competitive whatever you think of the mail that's a great title in that space. You know, why are you going to put New Day on top of it?
2: Yeah, I, I suppose I've not even seen it. Like when I've been in, you know, mm. I haven't been paying particular attention, but I go into newsagents and shops. I've not actually noticed it anyway. I'm sure it's there, but it's not obviously getting a lot of shelf space. How
1: yeah. long do
3: you give it, Scott? Well, I mean, the fact is, is that I found that it was quite a bold move for them to go and do it. I think they've actually done the research quite well into... You know how many readers it could potentially have. The fact that the style of the paper is very, very different compared to you know the tabloids and the, the markets. So I want to say and just write it off straight away. Let's switch the dial and talk about radio. Uh, Capital. Last time I listened to them,
1: they still had that jingle that went "Wow, wow, wow!" Pat Sharp got all the hits. Uh, I imagine he's still there. Uh, they are going ad-free. Uh, well, on the weekends, anyway. Uh, Capital have struck a deal with the Ministry of Sound to sponsor their Saturday and Sunday early mornings... That's actually a really good brand match, isn't it? You know, you're up all night, you've been to the Ministry of Sound, you turn on Capital, you don't want to
3: hear any ads, you want to hear more sort of chill out club music, you can sort of see that working. Yeah, Lada. absolutely. I mean, bizarrely, in a small world way, a, a friend who I was on the same student radio station is a DJ for Capital X Shop within this time slot. And I have listened to her sort of slot before, and they don't necessarily play many adverts anyway, particularly that they do quite a lot of late night mixes. So it goes into different songs all the time. So to cuss it completely off and then have a three minute jingle of adverts completely. Ruins the flow, and I feel listeners are a bit ch- turned off by it. Whilst a subtle mention here and there being like, Oh, by the way, this is you know all covered by them uh, financially, I think people are just happy to do. And it's the same case that with like Beats One Radio, about every hour or so, they just go, Oh, by the way, McDonald's paid for this, or by the way, thank, thank you so much to our corporate partners. As a very brief mention, so I mean, it sort of seems quite well. That's idea. the BuzzFeed
1: model, isn't
3: it? Yes, yeah, yeah, I no, can see that. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah. this, this article sponsored is brought content. to you, but
1: yeah, it is sponsored content, yeah, and actually, it, it doesn't feel you like it does it in that sense if you've got the right brand and the right yeah. station then it's, it's like well okay yeah Ministry of Sound dance music
2: fine. well Ministry of Sound not a company it's, it's the Ministry of Sound it's, it's a government yeah. department <laughs> thought, isn't it is Whittingdale wants I, what to what is the idea <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've been getting it very wrong all these years before
1: we go folks there is just time for our media quiz
2: yay
1: <laughs> Some, someone's listened to the show before uh, this week it is entitled Every second counts Yes In honour of Light entertainment legend Paul Daniels Who sadly passed away this week We have brought back his 80s format Uh, the winner will receive a Paul Daniels magic set the loser is banished (laughs) I mean we'll love one someone really is new to the show Uh, the loser will be banished to Puzzleopolis Uh, Okay, you both have 10 seconds on the clock which will count down as you give as succinct and accurate an answer as you can the one with the most seconds left at the end of the game wins and can plug whatever they like Leon you're going first choose a topic sofas or smoking Um, sofas sofas Insert amusing light entertainment observation here. BBC Breakfast caused milk to come out of the nose of former Countryfile host Miriam O'Reilly. But why?
2: Because she thought it was sexist that the man always sat on the left or camera left when hosting a show with a woman. Um, I think who gives a fuck? (laughs) Stop the
1: clock. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the story is that a less experienced presenter sat on the left-hand side of Louise Minchin. Uh, Leon, you you did just uh, very succinctly express your position on this, but generally, how important is positioning on camera?
2: on deck d-
1: always left him yeah yeah
2: yeah no that's true uh, yeah, familiarity of the viewers is important when you're doing a not show having, female superior uh, yeah that. i, I I've never ever heard it discussed in doing any show that the man was going to left. Obviously once you were drawn to attention to it you would notice it. I do judge anything, who cares? But then I do worry was that just me reinforcing the sexist uh, hierarchy? So, but My first thought was, oh, who gives a shit? But maybe I'm sexist, I don't know.
3: It is just a really bewildering story because you sort of read it and the first time thinking, ah, you know, what a load of old guff. And then actually over time you're thinking oh, hang on, I'm starting to see this. And then you keep thinking that there's this sort of secret meeting of people who decide the <laughs> Ordering <laughs> of presenters on left and right, and then you realise that's all bollocks.
2: <laughs> so it's no, kind it's, of like... I can assure you, that's never been a thing I've ever heard
3: of. Yeah, there's a I lot of panic f- on other matters. Ant goes on the left, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's taller. Yeah. yeah.
1: Isn't it actually not about superiority, but just about the fact that we're used to seeing taller people on the left, and usually the man's taller than the woman. But they're usually sitting down. But aesthetically, you're still you're possibly. Still,
2: I, I think mean, you're
1: a bit taller if you're sitting on the left. That looks. I just, I just don't know. Something more see, This is this is better. what
3: the story causes. It causes <laughs> debate at a great length, but there's no answer. I think there's, there's bigger. None. I think there must be bigger
2: issues to, to discuss when coming well, sexism let's see.
3: In, in the world. Next up, it's you, Scott. Choose a topic:
1: smoking or local government. Oh goodness, um, local government. Local government. Bolton News has just won a Freedom of Information request against the council about which councillors have not paid their council tax on time, but how many months did it take for them to respond? Oh, it took about three years.
3: Three years? Is that right? Stop the clock. <laughs> <laughs>
1: 36 months was the answer.
3: Is that right? No, we, hang on, I'm dyslexic. Well, I yeah. have to think about uh, No, I'm really well, I'm dyslexic. Four, 36. Yeah, that is three. Yeah, that's three. Boom. Yes, yeah, That's all
1: right. Hooray. Um, well done. Yes, the Freedom of Information Act was under review. Now the government are saying it's all fine as it is. Uh, it could be better, though, couldn't it?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I feel I that the whole thing could be a lot more efficient, a lot more quicker. The fact is that it has to take so long to go and get a response to a very kind of straightforward local news interest story is still a very, very frustrating thing. But uh, well
1: done, the Bolton News. For yeah, the absolutely. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. Worth oh, yeah. It's like all the presidents' men all over again. <laughs> Leon, back to you. Smoking or podcasts? Uh, smoking. Smoking. A subsidiary of Vice Media has been making ads for a tobacco company, according to the FT. But
2: which one? But, uh, Vice Media. Or the, uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Vice. Which tobacco told... company? Have been oh, uh, ads Philip Morris for? is the only one anyone knows. Is Correct. It? <laughs> Stop the clock. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Philip Morris was the answer. Uh, now, why, where do you stand on that one, Scott? We were talking about uh, you know, sponsored, branded uh, content on websites. Now, Vice, we're making ads for Philip Morris, but not under the Vice banner, and not in countries where you can't show tobacco ads. Is there anything wrong with that?
3: Well, I mean... Th- the case about whole sponsored content is that it's not our side of the business. So, like, editorially, we're very much different than what commercial do. Right, but the commercial
1: of side of the now. business, in Vice, they're very good at targeting young people, so Philip Morris have said here's a load of money. Target young people to get them hooked on smoking. Should they have said no?
3: Well, I think generally smoking with large sort of bodies in relation to any sort of... Organisation that's aimed at young people anywhere, but it seems to be quite a bad thing, questionable. So I would say, you know, generally the outrage that's caused by this is quite right and quite justifiable. Yeah, Scott's just lost his job application to the commercial side of the business. <clears throat> oh, no. If-, <laughs> if,
1: if
2: Vice give up the work then Talkback will take it on from them. Uh, no, I, wouldn't. I would never let, do something like this. It's, it's a bad thing. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have done it. It's just not worth it. The amount of money they must be getting, it can't be worth it. All
1: right, let's go back to uh, you, Scott, for question number four. Uh, I'd offer you the option of smoking your podcast, but, of course, only podcast is left. Podcast it is. Uh, so here we go, and you've got the chance here to, to have a tie break, which means oh. neither of you win. Uh, <laughs> right, here's the question. Uh, NPR, National Public Radio, has taken an unusual approach to promoting its app player on air, What is it?
3: Uh, They're not allowed to say it on air at all. (laughs) They're not, in
1: fact, mentioning it, whatever. Uh, Stop the clock. Uh, The answer is, according to its latest ethics policy, NPR shows won't tell people to actively download a podcast or where to find them. No mentions of NPR.org, iTunes, Stitcher, or NPR One. What is the thinking here? Because there is some logic to it.
3: Well... From what I got from that for logic is that people instinctively know where to go and find a podcast should they go and have this person on saying, oh, this person is from the Happy Hour podcast. You just can Google Happy Hour podcast and find it. And it's also the case that if you're advertising a particular product such as Stitcher or iTunes it's just free advertising on public radio which is seen to be a bit of a thing but sometimes I think have they overthought this have they overthought this ethics thing at the end of the day because it's a slight mention and sometimes by sort of giving you know like when on the BBC they say oh this g- generic M- MP3 player you always think iPod yeah. you know it's, it, it just sort of stands out in its own way oh that's what they're talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually Leon when it comes to a
1: lot of these big sort of um Web companies. We have got to the stage where people are used to hearing on radio too. Download our show on iTunes, or used to hearing. Go to our Facebook page or our Twitter page. M- maybe it's not a case of overthinking, but actually underthinking. No one's ever thought, why are we promoting these big California? <laughs> well, go- I,
2: I, I, it's occurred to me a lot because because we obviously a lot of shows we make, we have to sort of be concerned with undue prominence, and our lawyers say we've got to cut things out if Keith mentions you know something too many times. And then I turn on Radio Five, and they mention Twitter every half hour. I go, well, how do they get away with it? But I guess it's it's basically because it's it's you know um, it's appropriate for that show, and so I actually I think it's they're probably overthinking this NPR, and actually they should just let it happen. It's Although I do have an issue with it's constantly referencing things that are online I always think it's a bit boring to keep going on about it But I think occasionally mentioning you can download the podcast I just don't see the problem with it
1: Well, according to the neon displays I can see that Leon has 0.5 seconds And Scott has 1 second Which means, Scott, you are the winner Yay! Plug whatever you like now. I've
3: really got no, nothing.
1: And that's it for our show today. <laughs> My thanks to Leon Wilson and Scott Bryan. Uh, unlike NPR, we have no problem telling you to go to themediapodcast.com where there are links for iTunes and Pocket Casts and Stitcher and other brands. Uh, subscribing means you never miss an episode, so go and do it now. Uh, we have had a grand total of zero recurring donors joining us since last episode. Up yours, what did we do wrong? Uh, runners, researchers, APs, VFX, Wizards, for God's sake, join us. Keep us on the air. Keep us regular it says here. Uh, just go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. It takes one minute. Do it now. Uh, I've been Ollie Mann. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook, Ollie with a Y, M A W M. the producer, Mr. Matt Hill, the Media Podcast, a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye.